Today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1 with All Care Pharmacy. Discover a healthcare team that's always here for you at All Care Pharmacy, Ireland's largest community pharmacy network. Today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1. So it's time for your questions on parenting and clinical child psychologist Dr. David Coleman is here. Good morning. Good You're morning, very welcome. Claire. Thank you. We'll get straight to it. We have one about an eating disorder, uh, David. This girl is very young to be facing this issue. Let's read this message out. My daughter who's aged eight has been under eating for three years. She has restricted intake and is in the one percentile for her age and her weight. We know this is related to anxiety and we work on this, but she's very thin and she's getting smart about disguising not eating. We're so worried it's going on for years she's not growing as she should she takes ages to eat she'll eat some of her food and then ask am I finished the burden sometimes makes me completely despair as her mother what can we do now that's a very serious one David isn't it yeah it is very serious I mean she's very young and if they're aware like did you say for three years that's a long time so since she was about five she's had this whatever it is thing with her eating and um, as far as I know actually this is eating disorders awareness week um, actually coincidentally okay um, and so one of the uh, really good resources that, in fact, that family probably might want to go look up online is BodyWise. So that's B-O-D-Y-W-H-Y-S. So BodyWise, they're just an amazing organisation um, for all things to do with children and adults as well, but mostly children, teenagers and eating and lots of good advice and tips for parents directly, but also a really good listing of professionals. And it sounds to me like this is a family who actually needs some kind of professional assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, if she's right down at that first percentile uh, in terms of her, her weight, then that's presumably to do with her size and age and stuff. They're going to need help with in managing this in, in the home because it's going to be a very, probably a long process, isn't it? Yeah, well, so not necessarily because she's eight. Mm-hmm. You know, if she was kind of 14 or 15, there might be a whole other gamut of uh, kind of overlays of, you know, body image and, and self-consciousness, which mightn't necessarily be there. Because if they feel that, you know, this is to do with some kind of anxiety and, and whether that's anxiety about the foods that she's eating or um, something in the foods that might be bad or that they're going to make her sick or maybe she, you know, because it could be that when she was five, she threw up after eating something and that's just created this kind of thing in her head about eating food, that there's a danger involved in it. You know, that might be very readily dealt with through um, therapy. And actually there's a uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So EMDR is, um, so I, I'm not trained in it at all, but uh, but just some of the reports that people have, when, when there's a specific trauma for a child, um, it can be an amazing way to help them process this trauma. Um, and so give um, us that treatment again because I know yeah, people will e- want to know yeah EMDR I, the only reason I know it is that my wife is training in it at the moment and uh, again when she talks about some of the kind of just moments of real clarity that, that kids and, and teenagers can get so it's mostly used with adults at the moment so uh, she works in the whole area of, of children and teenagers as well so she's training in this but it just sounds like it's amazing for specific traumas you know when there's been a traumatic event that a child just doesn't have access to either in that, that case would be a good example where perhaps she was almost too young to kind of lay down the memories for it um, so she'll have a, almost like a body memory of, of this horrible sickness that she had If the, this is me assuming now I don't know what it was for this, this little girl but um, yeah but it just helps children access it because mm-hmm. it's a, it, the, 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 this, it's not a necessarily fully verbal um, treatment intervention so it's almost a tapping into the subconscious kind of um, trauma that might be there well, look, so, that might work and it, and it might not in this case yeah. but the main 
piece of advice is to get professional help, help yeah. and body wise might be a good place so body wise is a good place in terms of the various different professionals yeah that, that you might All right, have to access let's go to our next one now this is about a 12 year old who's very shy I'm very concerned about my 12-year-old daughter, says this listener who has no friends. She's in first year in secondary school. I know it takes time, but when I observe her amongst her peers, sports and primary school peers, she was always the quiet one, never gets involved with the banter. She has agreed to counselling, but after a few sessions, she wouldn't go anymore. Is there anything I can do to help her? Now... (laughs) Do you get involved there as a parent is is the question. Well, it's tricky. She's kind of right in the verge where it's going to be almost impossible to be involved because um, once she gets really stuck into the thick of, of secondary school and um, almost all of the kind of the friendships uh, move either between online but just very separate to parents. You know, in primary school, there's much more opportunity for parents to be a little bit more proactive, perhaps, you know, arranging play days or kind of, yeah, trying to influence some of the friendships by making sure that you spend more time with one friend and less time with another friend and all that kind of stuff but by the time youngsters get to secondary school it's just much harder because very few of her friends that she might make or very few of the other girls or or boys in her class um, are likely to have parents involved in the matchmaking so to speak of of arranging friendships so um, I I think there's a couple of things one would be to check whether your daughter or this mum's daughter is actually as upset or as worried about it That's it because it may not be a problem for that child at all might be fine It could be that that's just part of you know how she is that she's quite I won't say introverted necessarily but just likes her own company is quite content with that is happy to be on the periphery of the conversations likes to you know has people that she hangs out with perhaps you know at lunchtime so doesn't feel lonely um, but just also isn't the one who's you know the mainstay of the banter um, but is quite happy to be there and, and to kind of smile along while other people are making the jokes mm-hmm. um, so But that if would, it is a problem But her. if it is a problem yeah well then again you know she mightn't readily take advice in fact, it was only just literally before you were coming on air posting on my Instagram uh, about teenagers and advice. Um, but um, but she mightn't really want the advice because it's coming unwarranted, you know, unasked for. <laughs> and um, and so, yeah, is, is to, again, just establish with her, you know, is this something that she would like help with? And if it is, then maybe having someone like a kind of a mentor figure, someone just outside the family who can maybe give her some tips or advice or just, again, give her that sense of, you know, kind of a boost her self-esteem that she's a good kid that, that she's really likeable um, that she has all the skills and and whatever to be able to make friends um, and that might give her the confidence then to actually reach out if she's feeling nervous about kind of making contact with you know mm-hmm. one or two girls who she might then hopefully kind of bring her into a group I mean that's typically how most So that, that mentor kids. how do you find that person? So usually it's someone like you know maybe your own sister or brother uh, like an uncle or an aunt it might be a, a sports coach sometimes it could be a particular teacher, it might be a friend of your family, it might be their godparent, anybody who is, um, just seems to get on really well. Sometimes even yeah, like an, an older cousin might take it on board. So if she has an older cousin who's maybe heading into, I don't know, whatever TY or whatever, has a bit of time in her hands you know, and, and might be able to kind of take your daughter under her wing yes. almost and just give her a bit of big sisterly advice if she doesn't mm-hmm. already have a big sister who is kind enough to give her that advice because sometimes big sisters are just not that kind. <laughs> We've a frequently asked question now Next, um, David, this is about when you should start primary school. This okay. is always one that we come across. Yeah. A mother asks, is it best for a child to start school when they are five and a half years old rather than four and a half? Are they better able to cope? Is there any research to say it's better for the child? My child will only have done one year of their ECI if they start at four and a half. So one year of Montessori or play school. 
Yeah, well, the Eche year is a particular, that's the early childhood, whatever it is, um, that you get entitled to a number of hours yeah. free from the government. You might as well take it. Three hours. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I would always recommend um, if you can wait till later rather than earlier. So if she's five and a half, that's better to my mind than mm-hmm. four and a half. And, and it's better when you get to the end of the primary and secondary cycle as well, isn't it? I think so. And and so lots of parents worry that, oh, my God, you know, he or she will be 18 then when they're doing their leaving. That's a great thing. Great. <laughs> <laughs> a really great thing. And 19 starting college is not a problem. Someone who did, I did my leaving start at 16. I think the later okay. the better. <laughs> yeah. The other thing, just as I said, that, that, was there a question there, you know, is there research to back it up? Yes, yeah. there is research to back it up. And actually, um, because I was looking up the research to, to reassure myself that this was good advice that I was giving, um, it just occurred to me that, so people may not even be aware, but if you type in scholar.google.com, you come up to what's called academic Google. You could, that's that's what it opens. And it's exactly the same kind of Google search. So you type in um, what is the best age to start primary school Ireland or recommended age for starting primary school in Ireland. And you get all of the proper research as opposed to just somebody's opinion article in, you know, whatever random, uh, you know. Social media. Yeah. yeah. Chat room. Um, yeah. But that's a really good resource for parents. And, and I mean, I use it all the time. So all of my Irish independent articles, you know, when I want to make sure that what I'm saying is, is valid, I will always go. So scholar google.com and it gives you all the research now not all of it is accessible because some of it is behind paywalls but the what they call the abstract so like the summary information in that article is always visible and so that often gives you just the headline information that you might need to reassure yourself that yes this study found that you know five-year-olds did better than four-year-olds when they were tested you know uh, in sixth class Mm -hmm. and Um, there's no rush there's no rush to get them into school I don't think so I mean we sometimes you know it is a bit of an issue in Ireland you know that that we do do kind of want to get kids taught the three hours as early as possible. And so even in preschools now, there's a kind of more academic focus and there might need to be, not all preschools, but in, in, in a lot of them. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily what kids need. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the research, particularly from Scandinavian countries where they have a whole kindergarten system that's play-based up until children are six and they don't really start, you know, kind of formal education until they're seven, or at least the, the three hours type education, the academic education until they're seven. Um, you know, show and, and Scandinavian kids tend to have really good outcomes educationally. I wish we could look at what we call the first two classes in school because the children are a little bit older going in so they really mm-hmm. object. This is our experience to being called, being told they're in junior infants. Oh yeah, our babies. As we- oh, our senior <laughs> infants it drives them absolutely wild. I'm five, oh. I am not an infant. Anyway, that's a, a minor problem. Could now, you imagine the headache though when we get to that year eights then, which is what would happen if that was year one, you know, as junior infants and then year eights or sixth class would be like, what? No, who? I Who's that now? So what school are they in? (laughs) Eight? Year eight? What's that? Makes absolutely no sense. So we have a monster in the back garden next. A 10-year-old, my 10-year-old believes there is a monster in the back garden. It's affecting everything. No blinds or curtains can be opened. Won't sit near a window and anxious in school. Now, we don't know if this is a boy or a girl. We just know that it's a 10-year-old child who's worried about what's out there. Yeah. (sighs) Wow. What do you think? Um, so, I mean, that kind of magical thinking is not at all uncommon mm-hmm. for a 10 year old. But um, so the idea, so, so I just wonder whether that monster is representative of something else. 
for that child. I mean, the fact that they're anxious anyway in school, um, but it's almost like, yeah, maybe there is an anxiety about the big world out there. And and so the monster just represents that. Again, I would say uh, that sounds like it's worth going, talking to a psychologist about, even if it's for the parents for themselves without necessarily bringing their 10 year old, just to see if they can get some insights into, um, you know, how they might address that kind of an anxiety. Um, because it is, it's a very big deal, you know, and, and it sounds like they're really, you know, having to change so much of their house. Imagine not opening the blinds into the back garden because, yeah. um, you know, uh, but but it, some kind of graded exposure is probably going to be needed where, you know, that little boy or girl learns how to regulate the anxiety enough that they're not hyperventilating, that they're not freaking out, having a panic attack, but that then, you know, we crack open, you know, the blind and they get to look outside and see that there's actually nothing visible there or um, that, you know, we take pictures and show them pictures of the back garden again you know now I mean I know as you could almost hear the child going yeah but you took that years ago you know it's out there now yeah. <laughs> you know? or but, that was 10 minutes ago now they're back but do you think they need professional help with I that I think so I think so that's a big one like uh, you know monster in the back garden to the point that the, the whole family has now had to adjust Disrupted. everything yeah yeah I mean I think you know, anxieties are really common in children and, and not every kind of anxiety that a child has needs to be addressed professionally. But mm-hmm. when that anxiety is causing other problems, that it's it's preventing other things happening, uh, then I think it becomes something that might be worth okay. getting professional help with. Now, the next one is it's really sad and it's a really hard one to answer. This is um, my son says this listener is eight and his best friend has terminal cancer and the little eight-year-old friend has no idea and the parent just wants to know how do I explain and I suppose do you have to explain maybe is is the first question you know this is who has no idea that so so her son has no idea this, about the friend or the friend yeah, has no idea about no the, the friend is obviously has terminal cancer but is the friend aware of his diagnosis I think I think that age? yes okay yeah yeah and I think that this little boy yeah. and we've the parent of the little boy writing to us do I tell my son that his best friend has terminal yeah. cancer so I guess I, I would be talking firstly to the to the little boy who's sick to his parents and just checking with them is this something as well that they want known? yes um, in in the broad obviously the parents are aware of it so you know that maybe they've already been told because they you know to give them an opportunity perhaps to prepare their son if preparation is even possible in a case like that because you know an eight year old unless they've had other experience of death is unlikely to really get the magnitude of what's about to happen and, and you're not going to be able to explain that but I think it definitely is the case that they, um, if if the other parents are happy, that they start talking about how sick he is and how unwell he is, and that this is the kind of sickness um, <clears throat> that he might not recover from. That this is not like having a tummy ache. But the danger, of course, with saying all that to an eight-year-old is that they might then start to fear that every ache that they get is terminal cancer. And um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, it is, it's one of those dilemmas because, you know, without knowing a little bit more about that family, it's very hard to give really clear advice because I wouldn't want to say, oh, yes, absolutely talk to him and and then, you know, discover that that little boy, actually, or, yeah, little boy has a load of other anxieties that he carries and that this could just be something that tips them over the edge in terms of panic. So, so it depends on the parents of the child who has the terminal diagnosis and it also depends on the type of child you have. You know, you've yeah. got to make a judgment as to what the best yeah. way course of action is yeah. knowing your child. Yeah, because sometimes, you know, when it's a something that's going to be traumatic anyway, so when, when that little boy dies, it's going to be traumatic for his friends. Um, then, you know, are you better off just waiting until the trauma actually happens and helping them process the trauma? Or because if you, um, you know, kind of proactively go ahead and, and, and t- 
you know, talk about the trauma in advance, then you may just give them longer to be really distressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and and maybe that's not the best, you know. Tough so, call. Yeah, it's very a tough, tough call. call. All right. Yeah. Um, listen, David spoke at the start there about eating disorders and uh, the team have been busy finding out contact oh, details for Bos- BodyWise. So we have that for you now, uh, bodywise.ie and it's spelled body W. H-Y-S dot I-E and their helpline number is 01-210-7906. The number again, 01-210-7906. David will be back with us in a couple of weeks' time answering more questions. So the email address to get your parenting questions into is todaycb at rte dot I-E. Thank you, David. See you soon. Yep. Take a break. Text 51551. Today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1.